morning, and now I understand why it is Jesus said, do as these little children do, because it was so easy and to smile and to see that. And I think God wants us to have that smile for one another in all time. So uh, what a gift that is. What a gift your smile is this morning. So would you stand for the hearing of our gospel this morning? It's from Luke chapter 15 and the first 10 verses. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and, and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he is found, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having lost in 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'll invite you to be seated. So before we lean all the way into the gospel lesson this morning, I want to invite us to go back and recall the words that we heard from the Apostle Paul to his beloved friend and companion and student named Timothy. He begins this letter and many of his letters by making it abundantly clear that he is not just a sinner, but the worst among sinners. Why is this? Well, because as, as we have heard his own words this morning, we also learn in the book of Acts that he had wreaked havoc in the lives of people of the early church before he became an apostle. And more specifically, he was part of sanctioned actions to remove people from their homes, men and women, and, and to put them into jail because they were disciples. He was long number, enemy number one of the early church, the budding church as it was, and part of some very horrible things done. And in fact, also in Luke's, we read that he approved of the stoning death of an apostle named Stephen. There's a reason that he leads with this confession more so than to show us how difficult of a past he had. He not only wanted his churches and his leaders and Timothy to know that he had been given authority to be an apostle, but that that authority did not come by his own righteousness or his own good deeds, but it came by a deep call of God upon his life, of redemption, and grace. Now, I emphasize this, if only briefly, because I think if we're going to understand Jesus' two parables today, we will need something of Paul's humility 
and something of his posture so that we can receive these parables in a way that is helpful for us. Now, as we can see clearly, if you've been with us uh, through Luke over the last few weeks, Jesus, the Pharisees are continued, uh, continue to be troubled by the company that Jesus chooses to keep by those he eats with and drinks with. And today it's specifically sinners and tax collectors. And Paul, as I have tried to establish, knew quite well that Jesus associated with those like, well, like him, who before becoming apostles would have been called the worst among sinners. And once again, we see that somehow table manners, and, and perhaps more specifically, guest list once again of who gets to sit at the table with Jesus seems to be at the core of what we're hearing again. There's a sign in the choir room, as I mentioned this morning, that says the first part of what it says is that where everybody knows your name, I mean, saying that, I'm going to guess many of you already know where that comes from. Uh, if you're my age or around my age, you know quite well that it comes from a long-running sitcom named Cheers from many years ago. It had quite the colorful cast of characters, each one of them lovable, but at the same time flawed, uh, very different, insecure in some ways, and many had past and weaknesses that tended to continue to catch up with them from time to time. And that was in part what attracted them and, and called them together to be the friends that they were. This mixed up and sometimes messed up crew continued to be community and family even. Well, we will need to imagine the Pharisees looking in upon Jesus sitting in such a pub today as that of Cheers. Jesus dined with folks at tables who had common their wayward ways of life. And perhaps that is how they found company together in the first place. These were people who were objects of the chagrin of good religious folks who saw them as impure and improper in their life. And this was often the problem of the Pharisee. And it is the context for the two parables that Jesus offers us today. Pharisees were pious and spiritual, but they had little patience for those who were not. They must have felt that when the, the Son of God came, that it would be their table for which the Son of God would want to sit, and, and Jesus did, but not exclusively. Not to honor them above others, and, and it perplexed them when this was the case. Those like Nicodemus could see that you are a from God, no doubt about it, the things you do, only someone from God can do it, but, but it's the company you keep. It's hard for us to understand that. So the question for us and the question for the church in all places seems to be often, when might we be inclined to see things the same way? Luke includes this story for us to ask this question, I believe. Now, for some of us, it might seem a beautiful, maybe even nostalgic thing to consider that Jesus welcomed the marginalized so freely. There's nothing better, nothing more sentimental than the idea that Jesus shows warmth to those who have been left in the cold, whether that be literal or figurative. Yet we might wonder, are we being a bit naive to think that this is the only thing there is? And for others of us, in the back of our minds, we can't help but realize the possibility, maybe even the reality, 
that one day a tax collector might dine with Jesus, but on the next day, that same tax collector might be still taking that unjust tax. We can know that just because we love and welcome, some may not repent or change as we might expect. And so we tell ourselves, well, be on guard. Let's not let ourselves be naive, overly nostalgic. You see, it was not easy for the Pharisees, and perhaps for us as well, to trust that Jesus can see in people what we do not readily see. And maybe part of the reason that Jesus talks about sheep and, and silver coins is meant to help us out here. I mean, who of us can't find even the most wayward sheep a lovable thing to, to hold on to? Who of us here doesn't know the value of a silver coin, whether it's stained or whether it's perfectly shiny? The value is, is all the same to us, isn't it? Yet somehow, we can struggle to love and value human beings who are lost. It's harder for us. And so can you think of anyone for whom you struggle to love and value and perhaps for understandable reasons. Who, if we, even if we know that they are a child of God, do we hesitate to welcome or to associate with because, well, maybe we know too much. Where is this true? Where this is true, Luke wants us to make a bit of room in our hearts today. To open our hearts to see something different as we look at our parables because I think what we find is that it is possible to love and welcome with sentimental reality. I think we can learn to love more graciously. And we can learn to value people as children of God instead of whether or not they have it all together in this life. And I think Jesus was able to hold on to this tension quite well. He seemed to have no anxiety, no worries about eating and dining with, with sinners and human be as, as human beings and children of God, but somehow lead them to sin no more the longer they followed him. But not only this, but to welcome us, to bring us into this journey ourselves and whatever our moral failings may be, and learning that it is on the journey itself that we begin to be transformed. It's easy for you and I to sit in this space and to think that we sit among those who have it all figured out, have it all together spiritual. But I, and I don't think I'm going to expose a, a secret here. I doubt there are many of us in this room that feel like deep in our souls that we really do have it all together. I don't. Every one of us, most likely at some point, will wonder why we keep making the same mistakes. While the same weaknesses came to, seem to fall upon us time and again, we all know that we dine with Jesus one day, but we forget we've done so the next day. Well, if that's true for you, and it can indeed be true for me, I have good news today. Be free of that worry. Set it aside once and for all. But do come to see something very important. Christ wants to be at table with you, with each one of us. And know that you are welcome here today. Once more, we are free to love and welcome each other warmly 
and even sentimentally, knowing that this is true, knowing that we have all fallen short in one way or another. Trust that everyone in this place today, in every church that meets this morning, needs God's grace as much as the next one. And trust that it is God, and in following Christ, that we find salvation and are transformed. And looking at our parable again, you see, sometimes I believe these two parables leave us to believe that we're the searchers, individually or a church, of the lost coin or the lost sheep. We might be inclined to think that we are the shepherd and and that we are the woman in the parable looking for the lost coin to, to bring them into the fold again. But let me offer that, yes, we indeed participate. We are very much part of this process and this work, but God is the shepherd. And the woman searching for the coin is God. We are all the objects of God's searching. We are the lost coin. We are the lost sheep. And just as importantly for today, we are also the ones who rejoice among the angels when anyone comes to sit at table with Christ and with us and to be among us. This brings us back to the work and the nature of the Holy One, I believe. And I think there are four things about God's nature that we can understand here and and learn from ourselves. And one, God accepts responsibility for us. And two, God searches without ending and without considering the cost or the time it takes. And in three, God rejoices in the burden of this work. And fourth, God rejoices with the community and at the success of redemption. You see, I think we see this, these four things with Christ as well, don't we? Jesus has made it clear that the only reason he came were for the lost and the sinners. And he did this to the point of the costing in his life. And there was no greater joy for Jesus than this burden that he bore for our redemption. And even when the world could not see it, And yes, there were those who criticized and jeered and even crucified Jesus for those he loved, but there were also the rejoicing crowds of the redeemed who shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. We are called to be in that crowd. And the simple grace of our story today is that Jesus came to the world to save us, to save sinners, and that is our salvation. And it should be also our joy As someone once wrote, that like the lost coin, we may get ourselves lodged very deep into the cracks of this world. But God is like the woman who searches and will never stop searching until we are found. Maybe you can recall a movie that I remember from many years ago, it seems now, but it's called Where the Heart Is. It's about a young girl who winds up living in a Walmart, of all places, because her boyfriend leaves her pregnant and without any options. This left her with impossible places and impossible decisions because her mother had just recently left her as well. So being a survivor, she would hide away in the store until the lights went out. And then once everyone was gone, she'd come back out and she would live in that Walmart night after night. Eventually, her living arrangements were discovered when she had the baby. Now, the circumstances of her reality were there for the whole world to see now. It inspired some to respond in their 
in very interesting ways. And even though her questionable life choices had been on full display for the whole world, received judgment from some and, and sympathy for others, she kept working hard to live and move forward in life. She moved in with a friend to help her raise her baby, and one day a knock came on the door when she was not there. And her friend answered the door, and there was a couple standing there, and they said that they came to the house where the unwed mother was to give her a word, give her a word of God. Now, the friend was picking up on the fact that unwed came out with a rather judgmental sound. <laughs> and picking up on this, she said, well, I'm sorry you wasted your time, but the word of the Lord has been on this house for a long time now. I believe that in many ways this response, her response, is Jesus' response to good religious folks who might be chaffed by him and those he spent times with. As an unwed mother, as the movie goes forward, she offers a word of wisdom. She says to her friend that we've all got bad in us, but we've all got good in us too. The Reverend Tom Long once wrote that, I think that part of what Jesus is saying to us is that we will never really experience the fullness or the joy of our faith until we understand that we are all outsiders who have been invited to a party of joy through no merit of our own. Even though we are sinners, Jesus keeps looking for us anyway. Yet the more we learn, the more we follow, we eventually begin to mend. We eventually begin to amend our ways. Not once, but at various points along the way. And when we do this together, we become the church. When we can see clearly that the company that we keep is on the very same journey we are, we become a great sentimental and realistic companion to one another, all seeking redemption. Now, the, the song that opens the show, show Cheers goes on to say one more thing that's also on the wall in the choir room, and maybe you remember it too. It goes on to say, and they're always glad you came. Whether you are a lost coin today, a lost sheep, are in the choir of those who celebrate the those who are brought home today. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad God's grace has found you because it's found me too. Christ gave us mercy so that we might be merciful. And to be merciful is to find our salvation. And no matter how far we stray, no matter how far away we come to be here and amongst one another, no matter how far we fall, God's love for you and our love for each other is possible and evident. Thanks be to God. Amen.